ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Make me feel good! You may know someone who fell in love through writing letters. It'd be hard to not know someone who's fallen in love over the internet these days. But have you ever met someone who has fallen in love over Morse code? By the early 1980s, Ulla Knox Little was already living an adventurous life as a radio operator on Danish ships. I also done a lot of trips on Nilladan and Taladan up to the east coast of Greenland, which could only be during summer as well. Those ships, Nelladan and Taladan, were also contracted for Australian Antarctic expeditions. So Ulla had an idea. I got it into my head. <laughs> and I've been, I've been sailing all over the whole world. But I got into my head that I really want to go Antarctica. But they kept on saying no, because they were not taking any women down there. Right, 81. Yes, yes. there has been uh, uh, females down at Macquarie Island, but not at the continent. How did you convince them that they might like to make an exception (laughs) to that rule? I think I just kept on really gnawing away at them and say, come on, come on. You know, women can do anything we want these days. And in the end, I think they either gave up because they were tired of me or (laughs) they, they just decided that perhaps it was a good idea. So, yes, 1981, we left from Denmark. It took six weeks to come to Hobart and then... We were loaded with whatever we needed to take down. The beauty of those expeditions is burned into her memory. The very first times I went to Antarctica, it was the first icebergs we saw, or even little floaters. Sometimes, of course, we were stuck in the ice for days or weeks, you know, and we just couldn't go anywhere. But, yeah, it was just, it's such a pristine environment. What was the typical shift in the radio room? Oh, Helen, they were just really, really busy. On Dan and Taladan, um, you work 12 to 14 hours every day. Because all the expeditioners, we could have 56 expeditioners on Nelladan, and then later on I went on to um, do Iceberg as well. And we had 80 expeditioners, I think it was, plus the crew, of course. And they could all write down, and I either had to send that you know, type it up by telex or in the very early days sent it by Morse code. And the only really bad things which happened on the ships were, you know, the Southern Ocean is absolutely atrocious at times. Yes. (laughs) You know, and it was just like, especially an iceberg, for some obscure reason, I couldn't secure my chair, really heavy duty chair. And we just cut one wave one day and I just... I just fell over in the chair and rolled to the other side and and got totally smashed by the chair and yes <laughs> and I think I was um, I was probably just lying in my my little room which was just downstairs from the radio room and uh, for two or three days because I really had hurt myself but other than that uh, bad weather happened but as soon as we came to one of the antarctic stations I had nothing to do. Right. And as soon as we came back to Hobart, I was not allowed to use my equipment. And then I had nothing to do. And what would you do in Antarctica when you had nothing else to do? I very often just uh, hitched a ride into the stations and went and said hello and had a look. So I was very lucky to go to all four stations. And there was that time she got stuck on Macquarie Island. Oh, that's right. Yes. 
Nella Dan, my ship, was supposed to come back and pick us up in November 1985, and she got stuck in the ice down south because Nella Dan was not really a, a, an icebreaker. It had a rounded hull, so if they should be caught in the ice, it would sort of pop up and sit on the ice, so right. to speak. But then the Japanese icebreaker had to come to help them get out. So we we were picked up by HMAS Stalwood, which is one of the Australian Navy ships. And they came straight from cruising around up the Red Sea and there's no waves whatsoever. Oh. And then, yes, exactly. <laughs> and they hadn't tied down anything. And of course, when they passed Tasmania and they came out in a storm, Whoa, that was not so good. But we had spent, you know, more than a year on the island with 17 people and one tractor and a lot of wildlife and nothing else. And we went, instead of going to Hobart, we were straight to Sydney just before Christmas. Oh, no. It was awful. Oh, no. It was... So you've seen 16 people and a handful of elephant seals for 15 months and suddenly it's Christmas in Sydney. And I couldn't get out of Sydney quickly enough, I must admit. But I promised you love in Morse code. How does somebody fall in love in Morse code? <laughs> oh, God. Well, that was the summer of 1981-82. Normally, the ships would work mostly with Casey, who had three huge main transmitters. But two of them, I mean, it was fate. I think it was fate. Two of them just didn't work. So instead of working with them all the time, we actually started working with Mawson, who is a very, very busy station, you know, and they received weather report from all over of other Antarctic stations and so on and so on. And um, so when I got a bit closer, we started just working with the Mawson operators and myself, and it was just on Morse code. And then my husband-to-be, yeah. we started uh, Mawson together and I have to say even though I praise myself that we were both very very good op most operators <laughs> I like, and, and you thought what I like the dot of his dashes <laughs> yeah and we just kept on competing I mean how can you say that you would sort of get to know someone or most code I don't know there's something about it then because of all the philatelic mail I had to go ashore when we got to Mawson. Uh -huh. And it so happened that Mike was the post officer. And so I talked to him and, oh, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I, anyway, went back to Denmark. I couldn't stop thinking about him. And then my company said to me, Ulla, we need you to fly down to Tasmania and sail Nella Dan back from Tasmania, back to Denmark. And that coincided, of course, being the very last voyage. And uh, Mike had stayed down there for nearly 16, 17 months. I did not know he was on the ship, but I stayed with some Australian friends. And Brian took me down very early to see Nella Dan coming in. And he said, you have to go up and, and find Mike. I'm pretty sure he's back on this voyage. I said, really, really? I went up the, <laughs> the gangplank and there was some, um, three or four guys standing just outside the door I needed to go into and they all had long beards and long hair and I just went straight past them and tried to open the door and Brian said to me hey hang on are you not going, going to say hello to KL that was his nickname 
And I went, yeah, where is it? <laughs> Have a shave, mate. <laughs> yes. And it was, it was just in those three days we had together that we decided, yeah, it's going to be us. If you hadn't felt like fate was already hitting you with a baseball bat, then him yes. being on that voyage. Yes. Yeah, it was just amazing. We had an um, absolutely fabulous life. He died in uh, 2014, far too early, unfortunately. But we did a lot of things. We built a yacht. We sailed on the yacht. We built our house. We started a farm with cherry trees and proteas and all sorts of things. So I've had such a good life. <laughs>